the basics of story are the same. And we can use the technology to heighten that, to amplify that, but we don't want the technology just to replace us being able to tell the story. Because in the end, we are, we're the critical thinkers. The machines that are helping write content or brainstorm content, they're there with this amazing volume of information, but we're the purveyors or the, or the, the folks who decide what is good, what is bad, what, what works within the parameters of the story that we're trying to tell. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and today we're going to be making some wings, two different types of wings. I realize that's a common thing I've been doing on the show a lot, but hey, man, I'm a creature of habit. And we're having Richard Rosser on the show. Welcome, Richard. Hey, hey, Jared. How's it going? That's so good to have you here. I'm doing well, doing well, sorry. And uh, we have um, two different types of wings. And while I'm putting them on there, let me tell you a little bit about Richard. So Richard is a master storyteller. Uh, he's a film producer. He's a children's book author, uh, former claymation <laughs> producer. He did a, a student video uh, way back when on um, on a chess game. And so uh, I guess you've always been on the creative side of things, right? Yes, yes. Ever since I was a little, little tot. <laughs> wow. So for those that are watching along on YouTube and Facebook and Spotify, we got two different types of wings here. Um, I kind of pre-dusted both of these wings. This is a buffalo, um, which I did with a dry stuff, but obviously it gets wet when you're putting it on raw wings. And then I'm trying something new with the other one. I'm actually going um, salt and vinegar. Mm. like the potato chip flavor uh my wife's that's my wife's favorite potato chip style and so we're gonna go salt and vinegar on batch two here i'm gonna dust them over now richard do you guys ever do any kind of outdoor cooking out there oh, i know you're in la of course. In hollywood of course we do all sorts of stuff we do ribs we do salmon we do steaks and, and oh my gosh see the only the only thing about doing a podcast like this uh, online is that I'm not going to get to taste any of this, uh, any of these wings. Yeah. Common, common, uh, complaint with this show. And we're going to try to see if we can't correct that in the future. I think season three, we're going to try to start doing some more in-person stuff, which will be a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to dust these up a little bit more. So they just got a little bit more on them. Hopefully that'll crisp up, man, that, <laughs> the <laughs> salt and vinegar, <laughs> just in case you didn't think that was real. Oh, God. You know what? While, while Jared's off uh, blowing his nose. Um, wow. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I'm in the TV business. I've worked on uh, This Is Us, Grey's Anatomy, Chicago Med, uh, 24, the MacGyver reboot. And uh, mm -hmm. as Jared was saying, I got my start doing claymation uh, films, little mini uh, claymation films. And um, uh, that's, that's how I started. And uh, now I'm in the uh, TV business working on... Uh, on big TV shows out in Hollywood. You can tell someone's in show business uh, when they when they immediately step in to fill dead air right. like that. Like, <laughs> as soon as I walked off camera, he was like, I know what to do. Yep. Um, and and you were on This Is Us, so you, you definitely made my wife cry at least a couple of times. I'm sure we did. Uh, probably the, the, the most tearjerker show of all time. Um, I used to make fun of her for it, and then I started watching, and then I'm, she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, nothing, you know. Nothing. I got um, some salt and vinegar in my eye. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So the first question I wanted to ask you, Richard, was 
Um, you've made a career out of storytelling. Yeah. If you look at every little piece of your career from, you know, early student stuff to children's books to TV, everything's about storytelling. And in fact, you, you do workshops and, and train people on storytelling. So what makes a good story? If someone's building a story uh, or trying to tell a story, what are the essential tenets of, of telling a good story? Well, ultimately, it's the connection between the storyteller and the audience. There's a, uh, there's a psychological theory or component called narrative transport. And if you think of that, if you think of your favorite book or favorite movie or song, when you, when you say, for instance, Harry Potter, you dive into Harry Potter and you're reading about these amazing characters, you're transported to Hogwarts. And, you know, you could have a buzzer going off and your pizza's, uh, it's, it's burning in the oven and someone's knocking at the door trying to uh, deliver something. And all that just falls away because you are absorbed in the song or the video or the movie or the, or the, uh, or the book that you're reading. And that's the idea is to get to a point where our audiences as storytellers that we transport them. And so we can do that in, in many different ways um, through an emotional connection, right? If, uh, if, if we're talking to a group of folks who are musicians, we want to we talk about the, how, how music really, it, it influences our lives and our decisions and the, and the, way, we, the way we move through life. And so if we can connect with folks on a base level with, uh, with stories, the more interesting the story, the more details you have, we can go ahead and, and uh, use physicality. My dad was an amazing storyteller and he loved to tell story jokes. And, uh, you know, he'd get to the punchline. The punchline many times was often what we call a groaner, right? But <laughs> it was the journey of getting to that punchline. In a, in a one or two or three minute story, there was really the fun. He would, get, he would you know, give his character some physicality or, or fun voices or sound effects. And it's, it's those details that really draw an audience or a viewer or listener in to the story. And, and it's also the shared experiences and moments uh, you know, that the, the, the audience shares with the storyteller that make a story compelling. You know, and Anytime that we have talked on this show about um, from the business side of things and we start talking about the way you're, you should communicate your, your company or your product's message to the world um, or, or really kind of communicate anything where you need to engage someone, they always come back to any expert comes back to you need to tell a story. Right. And so I think it's so, um, you know, it's so relevant to listen to somebody like you who um, hasn't necessarily done it well i i'll walk that back I, do, I you may have done it on the marketing side some but your career has really been about entertainment but at the end of the day entertainment is what really uh grabs and garners attention and keeps it in place and that's what gets people to connect with whatever message it is that you're trying to get across jared that is so so true and let me let me just pick pick a, a couple of things from what you just said so you know, story, I've been telling stories professionally for 30 some odd years, right? In TV and film and, and, and commercials with short stories. And um, I've realized that, uh, of course, storytelling on a professional standpoint is incredibly powerful. But really, storytelling in everyday life is really powerful as well. And, and so ultimately, we, we can tell stories to entertain, educate, persuade, convince 
and, and, and really sort of reflect. And, and a, a good marketer, a good business person is, is using story for all of the above. And it's important to remember when you're telling a story that uh, the story has to have a point. Uh, if it doesn't have a point, if it doesn't have a call to action, if you're, if you're telling the story in a business sense, if you're pitching a client and you tell a story, you want that story to have a call to action to it. And so we can use stories uh, in, in, in all sorts of presentations. We can use stories for you know, asking for funding, pitching a project, working with a team, managing a team of folks. Or if you're doing a, a presentation to two or 300 employees about the company, a story is a great way for them to understand what's important about the business for the business owner or the high level management. That's so interesting. I mean, you, you know, you've told stories in very different, I mean, you've had television shows that you've done it for, you've written children's books. Mm-hmm. Are there any, cause you, you said at the, you, there's gotta be a point to the story or, or there's sort of a message. Do you, when you, when you write a children's book, um, is, is that, more are you more focused on the point you're trying to get across than say an episode of this is us or are you in and this is us are you just more focused on advancing the plot or do you still try to make a central point lesson thing that the, the characters are learning you know it, it's that's a that's a great question and the answer is stories work on so many levels a story can have a theme but it can also be entertaining. A story can be funny, but at the same time, uh, you know, for instance, not to, not to get, you know, a downer, but I told one of my dad's favorite jokes uh, in the eulogy at his funeral. And I had folks who had heard him tell that joke hundreds of times over the course of knowing him. And so what I did was I augmented the joke and it, it served as a reflection point, a celebration point to celebrate the spirit of my dad after he had passed. And so with that joke, there was laughter, but there were also some tears. And the tears were, were sort of baked into the fact that that joke, that story joke that he had told was a memory of him. It was really a, a portal to remember him and, and, and remember him through that, the memory of him telling the joke as well as me telling the joke at his memorial service. So, so when we start thinking about a story, and, and, and again, it's important for, for folks when they, when they gear up to tell a story, ideally, you've thought about the story, you've thought about the beats, you've thought about what humor you can infuse and, and what lessons you can infuse. So that when you get to the point where you're telling a story, uh, it, it, it has the point, uh, it, it, it makes an example given the certain circumstances that you're in. If you're, if you're talking to a group of folks, uh, or, or potential clients, you're using that story to try to sell your product or services and then close the deal. And so you want to have thought about that story. In fact, you want to have practiced the story a few times before you get to the point where you're going to use that story for the purpose uh, for, for a business or professional purpose. It's so what you're saying is, you know, there's, there's different, it's, it's so interesting to follow kind of what you're saying. There's, there's different sort of elements that go into writing a story, but then the same story can, can sort of hit different in different circumstances and everything else. And so one of the things that, um, 
I've never talked about on the show, but a dream that I've always had is I want to write a children's book one day. Oh, fantastic. Right? I think it's fun. And so, <laughs> so as soon as I saw, you know, that you had your series of children's books, um, I got really fired up about it. And uh, so if, if you're getting ready to write, say, that kind of book, what would be step one? Like, at, like if you're starting at zero, you've sort of got this vague idea of like, you're going to write a story about a dog that does X, Y, and right. Z, and you kind of understand the point you're going to make. What is, what is really step one to write something like that? Well, I think step one is what message do you have that you, you must get out to the world? Okay. What, what is it that, that you've figured out that you want to impart to other folks? And again, whether, whether those folks are children you know, of preschool or, or kindergarten age for a children's book, or if they are executives uh, at, at a, in a banquet hall at some sort of a conference that, uh, that you're trying to impart some sort of wisdom, knowledge, experience that can help them overcome challenges, issues, problems, etc. In terms of the approach, it's, it's coming up with what you want to say, and then you can figure out how to say it. Right. Um, it, you can I mean, humor is always an icebreaker. It's a great yeah. way to uh, to get folks laughing and to get them to relax. Uh, you know, whenever whenever I'm interviewing someone on, on set or, or uh, you know, or teaching a class, what I do is I get folks to laugh and, and talk about themselves a little bit. And that helps break the ice. Um, what I, in, in my seminars, I do seminars on storytelling and now AI enhanced storytelling. And one of the breakout sessions that I do is, uh, Jared, have you ever heard of uh, Hemingway's six word story? No, I haven't. Okay. So for you and your listeners, Hemingway came up with a six word story. You know, it's, it's really sort of the, the, the shortest story you can have. And his six word story went, Baby shoes for sale, never worn. Now, as I, as I hear the first sentence, baby shoes for sale, I conjure up an image. I visualize a set of baby shoes. Now, for me, it's, you know, so those old school little leather shoes, they're all yeah. stuffed up because the baby's been learning how to walk and everything. But, but then as I hear the second sentence, never worn, I then have to backtrack on my, on my visualization. I have to think, well, wait a second, they're, they were never worn. There's no scuff marks. In fact, there may be a tag still attached with a little string to one of the eyelets. But then my mind starts filling in the blanks and I think, well, wait a second, this, these shoes were never worn. What happened to this baby? And the parents, yeah. it, you know, it, and, and so I start to fill in. So this six word story takes on, it, it takes on a life of its own in terms of what happened with between the words and what happened with this baby and this and the couple. And so it, it's a great example of the brevity of a story, but how, how six words can conjure up images and draw your audience in. And so what I do in, in my breakout session is prior to telling the participants about the six word story, I have everyone write down a sense memory from their childhood. And so for some people, it's remembering the, the smell of hush puppies being, you know, being, uh, being cooked or, or it's the sound of, uh, of, of a church bell in the distance. It's something that from their childhood. And then when we talk about the six word story, I then say, okay, now let's, let's combine the two. So all of a sudden 
the participants in the workshop, they have a vantage point of creating a six word story about something, but about something that has resonance with them, right? If I just say, okay, create a six word story, folks would be sitting there for 10 or 15 minutes just trying to figure out, well, what do I create a story about it? Because, you know, it, it's hard to just on the spot, think of something. So by combining the sense memory, I've had stories. One, one, one guy came up and he told a story, six words about the only time that he and his father ever hugged. And, and a woman told a story about her mother used to rub her forehead when she was anxious or nervous. And, and those are, those are, even though we may have hugged our parents more than once in, in our lifetime, there's a shared experience of the hug of a hug. And so we can understand the, the incredible drama of he and his father only hugged once. And so in six words, we can very often convey incredibly complex concepts and emotion. And so what it does is it gives folks an idea about, you know, you don't have to go on for 45 minutes talking about something to make a point. And it, and it gives them a, a, a real nice foundation when, when they're coming up with stories either for their team or, or you know, to pitch an idea how they can organize and, and create those stories uh, in such a way that they're short and sweet and they get to the point, but yet they contain uh, emotion that, that makes the story compelling. This is so good. I'm, I'm going to check our chicken. For oh, a definitely. Moment. Definitely. There's, let's have a, but the fact that you can tell a six word story and there's enough room for a plot twist uh, is really interesting. Isn't it? It's, it's so, really fascinating. Yeah. Speaking of plot twists, these, these, uh, these wings, I don't know if this is a plot twist or this is just fulfilling their destiny, but these things are looking good. We're getting a little, getting a little grill marks on the bottom there. Yeah. Richard, what do you think? I can almost smell them from here, oh, from yeah. 3,000 miles away. <laughs> is it 3,000? I don't know if it's that long. Uh, so, hey, you're in Alabama. I'm in Los Angeles. That's about 3,000. 3, I guess 000. so. I'm not known for my sense of direction. <laughs> uh, so you, you briefly mentioned something that I was going to get to. Uh, anyways, which was AI, and you, and you recently wrote a book on ChatGPT, right? That's correct. Yes, um, I've said it on a previous episode, but you know, to sort of restate it, um, I think we're on the cusp of a change in society uh, that you know you kind of rarely see these things coming. And anybody that listens to this show, uh, the use of artificial intelligence is about to change the way that the world works in so many ways. And, and I put it, I put it in the same category as when the internet came out mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, sort of web 2.0, kind of the social media, social network thing. Everybody thought that was sort of just a silly way for you to share what you're having for breakfast. Right. And next thing you know, it ends up, it ends up toppling governments and exposing secrets and changing the way we live. And so, I feel like AI, we're on the cusp of, of that again. Um, and so ChatGPT, overlaying that with storytelling, um, how does that change the way that stories are created now that you have tools like that? And are there ethical boundaries in the usage of that? Does it change whether you should be able to copyright something, be proud of something? How, how does that change the, the way that stories are created? Wow, Jared, that is a jam-packed question. Let me let me, let me unpack <laughs> that. Uh, you can break you can break it down. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. So, 
Um, well, first of all, let me say that um, like any technology, uh, you know, Oppenheimer is uh, is is uh, coming out uh, tonight. Uh, it's oh, actually yeah. been in previews, but like any technology, I mean, Oppenheimer, uh, Christopher Nolan has has uh, said that it's very similar to the AI situation. The technologies that that really are a sea change for the world, they have both positive and ne negative possibilities, right, and consequences, and 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 we've we've seen that with with nuclear fusion. And, and so just like that with AI, I think there are the possibilities for bad actors to take this technology and do ill will uh, to, to folks. But the possibilities, the creative and, and, pos and positive possibilities far outweigh the negatives. And uh, it, it's truly amazing technology. Now, let me, let me, full disclosure, I am not a programmer. I'm not a coder. Uh, I am a storyteller. I'm a creator. And although I'm technically minded, I mean, I've done tons of special effects and worked with cameras and, and you know, all sorts of technical equipment and technical process. Uh, I am a storyteller at heart. And so I wrote this book, ChatGPT Simplified, really through the lens of a storyteller. And my approach to using ChatGPT is as a creator. And as a creator, this technology has an amazing amazing brainstorming possibilities because the the engine that runs ChatGPT has been trained on billions and billions of pages and PDFs and master's theses and doctoral dissertations. So the knowledge that it has within its lexicon or its library of, of, of knowledge is truly incredible. So when I jump on ChatGPT and I'm starting to brainstorm for a workshop or a seminar or a project, I really have uh, a philosopher and a scientist and a composer and, and a geographer. And I have all these people really right there in my, in my creation room, my little room, uh, when I'm working on something and that helps me think outside the box. And, and so this technology is, I, I, well, let me back up a sec, a sec. A, a lot of folks think that this technology is just going to reduce us all to robots because we'd use the, you know, the same prompt or question. And, uh, and all the responses are going to come out the same. And yes, I mean, just like, you know, just like you got uh, McDonald's and Burger King and people go and they have a burger and they know what it's going to taste like. Well, you know, it's not necessarily better than the mom and pop burger stands that dotted the U.S. back in the 50s, 60s, 70s that got shoved to the wayside. But there are folks that still make an amazing burger that is different from McDonald's or amazing barbecue in this case, right? And so right. the idea is that this is a technology tool, just like a, just like a calculator is a tool for a mathematician or an engineer, ChatGPT or AI in general is a tool that we can use to help amplify our creativity. So in other words, Jared, if, if you use a prompt to write a blog post about, uh, you know, about something you're barbecuing, and then you say, Richard, I got this prompt. It's great. And, and I take it and I use it to write a blog post. Our blog posts are going to be about different subjects, but they may sound very similar because they were based on the same prompt. Now, if you give me this prompt and I take it and I personalize it and I say, OK, um, I'm going to ask it to add a little bit of energy and uh, and some humor and maybe some pop culture references. Then all of a sudden I'm I'm tailoring this prompt. I'm I'm tweaking it so that it's, it's reflective of me and my personality. 
And so when I use that prompt, the response that gets spit out of ChatGPT is going to really reflect more of my writing style and my approach to whatever the subject is. And so then when I pass that prompt on to someone else and they pass it on to someone else, ideally, everyone who takes that prompt and uses it is going to personalize it, make it their own. And when that happens, we are really, we're using the technology as a tool to amplify our creativity and really heighten our individualism. And ultimately, that is, that's what's most important with this tool. Uh, there may be whole legions of folks out there who just use a prompt to pass it on and, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people that use the same prompt. Well, you know, that's, that's how it works. There's, there's the masses. And then there are folks who are creating. And so this technology will allow us to create things that we never dreamed of and processes that, uh, that we never imagined. And that's why I'm really excited about it. Uh, but it does, have, it does have limitations and it does have some bugaboos that, uh, that we need to get past. I think the, the number one uh, freak out when it comes to AI is everyone talks about all the jobs that this is gonna eliminate, right? And I, you know, I, I saw a Gary Vaynerchuk um, social media clip. Oh, yeah. Familiar with Gary V. Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. Super passionate. I love Gary V. But he, he's very, very intelligent and always can sort of see past the hysteria and things. And he's correctly pointed out, you know, the tractor eliminated a lot of jobs too. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, there's all these examples. You know, I think of like the printing press, right? The printing press eliminated the job for like the monks that used to sit and 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 write the Bible. You know, and right. smell to be like suddenly those jobs are eliminated. But did that? you know, destroy the world. No, it just moves. It moves people from one portion of the economy to the next. And you've got to be, you know, smart enough where if your job is getting affected by that, you better, you better find out how you move to the right side of that equation, because that's the way progress has always worked in the modern world. You know, technology comes along and makes the mundane, um, be, can be, can be completed easier. Yes, right. Exactly. Um, AI. So in storytelling, you know, I had a, I had a, um, had somebody on recently talking about the concept of authoring a book. And, uh, one of the things that she had said was, uh, you know, this is the one part of the storytelling process that AI threatens is sort of like the ghostwriting mm -hmm. process. It's massively going to change, which a lot the average person doesn't understand what a ghostwriter is, but right. essentially like you hire somebody to write a book for you, or at least a rough draft of a book, um, based on the outline and the information that you give them. And AI can do that. Um, especially if you're going to go back and really kind of rewrite everything, mm -hmm. but you really wanted to give you something to start with, as you were just pointing out, um, AI drastically changes what it means to be a ghostwriter. It I does. Would imagine. Absolutely. Well, Jared, you, you brought up an interesting point. Okay. So it's, uh, you, you brought up the printing press. So let, let's go back to 1455, right? Let's take a little blast of the past. In, uh, I believe the Gutenberg press was, was invented and put out in 1455. Did you just, can I just interrupt you? Did you just randomly know the year that the printing press was created? That's impressive. Well, like, I just pull that out of thin air. No, it's, it's, it's one of my go-to uh, okay. things. <laughs> because because it, it's, it's one of the sea changes that I talk about and, and, and so you touched upon it, but it's interesting because the way you approached it was a little bit different from the way I approach it, right? So you approached it as think about different, different technology that took away jobs. And you talked about, okay, the monks who are writing the books. Well, 
let's think about it from the storyteller's standpoint. Okay, up until up until when the printing press was was invented, m- most stories for the masses were told through the oral tradition. So you had bards and musicians and jesters and minstrels and all these various folks who were going out and telling stories, either town squares or you know in performances. But they were the they were the keepers of the stories, and they passed these stories down from generation of of uh, minstrel to to generation. And so think about what happened when the printing press came out and the buzz that was starting to go around about the printing press. Now, of course, it didn't it didn't take it, it wasn't as quick as 170 million people signing up for chat GPT in the first six months. But, it, you know, it, it, it definitely threatened folks. Right. So all these folks who, who tell the stories through the oral tradition are thinking, oh, my gosh, this new thing, the book, once everyone gets these books, these newfangled things. They're going to be able to read and I'm not I'm going to be out of a job. Well, well, hold on. Think a second about how many singer songwriters there still are, comedians, performance artists, actors for both theater, TV, TikTok, right? TikTok and and Snapchat and, and Instagram stories and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, YouTube videos. Think about how many ways there are to Keep the, the oral tradition or the visual and oral tradition now moving forward and how many jobs there are now for those folks who are essentially entertainers. And it blows your mind. So for the people who think that uh, who, are, who are scared about, OK, AI is just simply going to replace your job. It's um, it, it's really sort of a non-starter um, now. We're right in the middle of a, a SAG and Writers Guild strike. And one of the things that the studios are talking about is using AI to potentially replace background artists. Now, in that case, yes, there, there's, there's a, a big fear. I mean, there are, there are little pockets here and there of possibility for using AI to replace certain jobs um, and be done with it. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's going to be sort of uh, hacking away at various jobs. And those folks, if they can pivot and learn to understand the ramifications and and the possibilities with AI, then they can pivot and learn new skills and learn how to implement AI and ChatGPT into their job. So the people that uh, that ultimately understand how to use AI, like, like we all know how to use the internet now. I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, yeah. It didn't matter if you were able to use the internet for your job, but now I can't imagine most jobs, people being able to do their jobs without knowing how to manage the internet and use the internet. So it's, it's a very similar, uh, it's a very similar sort of, uh, sort of idea. Yeah. I mean, the internet has, has infiltrated everything. I mean, I, you know, my family owns a, a hot rod restoration shop, a classic shop. And even you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that the internet would be a big part of that, but I can't tell you how many times a day, you know, somebody uh, is on the internet looking up a YouTube video of like, you know, how does this go together on a 67 Mustang or, you know, different types of things. And it's just an essential tool because it makes you better. And I think, you know, going back to that printing press example, again, if you're afraid that your job is going to be eliminated, um, you know, arbitrarily forcing a job to to remain in place when it is no longer there because the incentives want it there. So let's use your example of, you know, the actor's strike, right? So 
I, I, it will be interesting to see where that lands because if AI can consistently create background characters, um, you could see where SAG agrees. Okay, well we're gonna we're gonna force you. You can't do that, right? Right. I don't know how sustainable that is because if you I, point to something in history where a hundred years later something that progress created, which was the ability to create something. So in this instance, the ability to create background actors, which I don't have to like hire, feed, manage right. everything else. If the incentives don't create a job, then you can't, it's not, it's not sustainable to sort of force that through just an agreement. Right. right. I mean, if they, even if they did that, they say, all right, we're not going to, do we really think in a hundred years, um, you know, we're still, we've still, you can still get a job walking around, sipping a latte in the background of the new Johnny Depp movie, right. which is a whole other question in a hundred years. Are we still making Johnny Depp movies? Because he's, <laughs> he's licensed his likeness out to a CG. The hologram. Engine, you know what exactly, I mean? Yes. Jack Sparrow. 50, I don't know. I mean, Jack Sparrow, 578, right? I know. And, and, and so it's, it's an interesting, what, a, you know, what is it? Was the old adage? May you live in interesting times. Yes. We, we live in extraordinarily interesting times and um, the progress of technology really over like the last 120 years is um, you, it's just, it's just, a, it's, you have to accept that this is happening. If you think about how fast technology is moving, I saw uh, somebody the other day pointed out that the Wright brothers going up in the air and us landing on the flipping moon, right is only separated by what is it 60 something years yes yeah right and that technology is moving so quickly right now that there is no you no amount of complaining about it is going to change anything the best way in the, sort of the winner's attitude is to accept that change is here and figure out how do i get on the right side of this how do i use these new tools yes um to do better to do better things or to make things faster smarter or are better for whoever the end, end user is. It's so true, Jared. And it's just, but it's, but it's scary, right? And I'll be the first to admit, I'm intimidated. I'm scared. I, I you know, I, 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 I have anxiety and I think there's, there are a lot of people. I mean, everyone, even the people who are creating the, this technology, we all have anxiety about it. And so I think that there's an anxiety that, that is an excited anxiety and then there's yeah. an anxiety that is a, a sort of a doom and gloom anxiety. You know, uh, what if what if AI becomes Skynet in Terminator and, and it ends up destroying humanity or the Matrix? We end up, you know, hooked up to those pods and everything. But I mean, there are, you know, the media is always going to blow things out of proportion. And so their job is to keep us watching their channels about uh, about the doom and gloom. Sure. Yeah. But ultimately... The, the positives of this new technology far outweigh the negatives. And, and something to mention also, and, and, and I do this in my workshops and, and anyone that I'm working with on a consulting basis, at, at a certain point when we've, we've taken storytelling and we've, we've taken AI and we've merged the two together, I then st stop and I say, okay, now let's take AI out of the mix and let's think about story and storytelling and the, the narrative structure and the, and all the techniques that we've been working on. And let's forget about the technology and, and let's look at 
what the story is and how we can make the story more compelling, even without the technology. Because ultimately, that's what it comes down to, is our ability to communicate with folks. And when we use the technology to enhance that, and again, whether it's you know, helping write a blog post or a Twitter post or Instagram or anything, any, anything that has technological bent to it, that, that's, that's great. But ultimately, at the very base, is telling a compelling story. And so that's why it's important before you to actually tell the story is to plan it out, think about it, outline it, rehearse it, practice it so that when you get to the point where you're going to tell the story, again, whether that's in a job interview or pitching a project or a service, uh, you, you've practiced the story. You, you have a general sense of what you're going to say, and you can fill in the blanks based on the specific situation. If you're selling a product or if you're just presenting it to, uh, to an R&D team or uh, whatever it is. But the idea is that the, the basics of story are the same. And we can use the technology to heighten that, to amplify that, but we don't want the technology just to replace us being able to tell the story. Because in the end, we are we're the critical thinkers. The machines that are helping write content or brainstorm content, they're there with this amazing volume of information but we're the purveyors or, the, or the, the folks who decide what is good, what is bad, what, what works within the parameters of the story that we're trying to tell. Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, 25 years ago, I would have never been in a position like I am right now to be having this show and, and, right. and, and doing this because technology progressed to the point where a schmuck like me in his backyard <laughs> can produce a video and audio show and distribute it globally. Yeah. Um, do you feel like technology and AI is going to democratize storytelling to the point where people who, who have the raw skills of telling a great story, but maybe don't have access to, you know, whatever the, the studios mm -hmm. or the, the job opportunities or whatever, do you feel like we may start to see a boom of great storytelling in the future as people realize that these tools make the putt uh, from, from zero to getting your story out to the world a shorter putt? Well, it, it, we don't have to wait for the future. It's already happened. It's already happening. We're in the middle of this, uh, of this revolution of storytelling as we speak, Jared. I mean, think about what you just said. When, when I made my, my animated movie with Claymation, I actually had to cut the film. I was, I was working with 16 millimeter film. I had to cut the film and splice it with tape or glue, depending on if it was the, the you know. And, and here we are within, you know, you said 60, 60 years for the Wright Brothers to, to the moon. I mean, this is even a shorter amount of time from physical film to digital media that literally can go across the globe in a matter of, in a matter of seconds or, or milliseconds. And that is one of the coolest things about story in, in the day and age of technology is that yes, folks who are storytellers can create a story and put it on TikTok. I, you know, I mean, it takes, it, it could take someone 15 minutes, 10 minutes to create a story and, and get it up online on TikTok for the world to see or YouTube or I mean, any of the platforms. But, but it brings up a great point, which is 
yes, the democratization of creation and storytelling and process has happened, but it's going to continue to happen in ways, again, ways that we really never imagined with the new technology of AI. And uh, I, I'm excited about it. Um, I'm also, you know, I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a bit nervous about it as well. Um, you know, change, change is hard. Um, I, I, I heard a, um, but I heard an interesting uh, uh, quote that says, uh, if you want to know what's going to happen in the future, invent it. And uh, which is sort of interesting, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. and, and with, with this new technology, there are a lot of people who are inventing versions of themselves and, and inventing ways of using the technology that really showcases their creativity uh, incredibly. It's, 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 it's really incredible time to, to be a creator. And the other thing is when, when I first started in the film and TV business, uh, I literally, I went to college in Virginia, small town of Virginia, and I would film. Then we would send our film away on a bus. We had to wait a week for it to go away, get processed and come back. And then I'd have to find a projector. I could, you know, I, I can look at it, but I couldn't right. tell what was, you know, what was going on. Find it, you know, put it up on a projector. And now, I mean, think about, think about how much that process has right. been short. You didn't even know what you had yet exactly. until you got it back off the bus. You'd be like, ah, we should have yeah. that shot a little over. Yeah. We used to drive over on Friday afternoons and hang out. The bus was supposed to be there at 3 p.m. And we'd be in the parking lot at 2.50 just in case it got there early. And uh, we'd wait and, you know, is it there? Is it there? And I remember one time some guys filmed it, I, I don't know, something in the lab had screwed up or whatever. And it did. he was like, oh, man, mine isn't here. The rest of us had ours. You know, we went back and, and watched them. And but it's it's a uh, you know, it, it's a continuously evolving. I mean, especially with technology, technology is moving so quickly now. Um, it's 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 almost mind boggling. And, and, and it is it is a bit intimidating. It is a bit uh, anxiety producing. But again, I think if we all take a collective deep breath and go back to our roots as, as storytellers, that is what grounds us. And so again, yeah. very often, uh, you know, when, when I'm doing a seminar or a workshop or working with, you know, a, a founder of a, of a startup, we, I, I stop and reflect on, okay, what is the, what is the story? Because ultimately the story of, why that founder came up with the idea and what, what prompted them to create whatever program, pro product service, and, and what needs that fulfills, that's the story, right? Uh, everything else is, is fluff. And, and that's what people want to hear is, is why? Why something happened? Why, why did you create something? And, and again, if we, if we think about some of the, some of the technological heroes, you know, Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates and, and these folks and, and Oppenheimer, I mean, and the Wright brothers, they had a desire that just propelled them forward and, and got them through failure after failure after failure until the failure became a success. And that's, that's part of the story as well is, is the overcoming the failure and making something a success ultimately. Yeah, it's so good. Let's let's get a uh, yes, chicken check. Yes, I was, was going to say I could smell them from here, and uh, man, baby, they're smelling good. All right, uh, all right, food safety nerds, here we go. We're going to measure the temperature and see where we're at. 
So I like my chicken medium rare. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, so now what, um, what, what's the, uh, is it 165? 165 is the safe Tim. Yep. Um, you know, and the, the tricky thing with wings like this is, you know, you get, these are big meaty ones, right? And so you've kind of got, um, come on, baby. All right. I think we're, I think we're there. We probably, I'll probably let it go for another, maybe five minutes. I honestly thought, uh, we were getting close to overcooking, but, uh, we have, we got them on 350, And so they're taking a little bit, um, Robert, uh, you know, there is, um, Richard, there is a, a million things you can talk about with, with, uh, with telling stories and the value of that to a person. Um, and I, you know, on, on the show, we talk a lot about, you know, regardless of what you're doing, whether you work in a charity or whether you just have a job or you, you need to be able to sell mm -hmm. and sell yourself and selling the best sellers are, are storytellers. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's so much to learn from what you're saying today. So, uh, to boil down, you know, the Richard Rosser, um, sort of thesis, right? The Richard, what the essence of what you, what you're saying and what you sort of teach the world. If someone wants to become a great storyteller, um, what is the thing that they should keep telling themselves before they begin trying to tell a story? I personally think it boils down to passion. Okay. Uh, you know, if, if I'm telling a story uh, and I'm passionate about the beats of that story, the elements of that story, what happened, then that's going to come through. And whether I consider myself a good storyteller or not, if, if, if I pass that passion onto someone, then they are going to be interested in that story. And conversely, if, I, if I'm telling a story that I'm dispassionate about, that's going to come across too. Uh, I, I'm, it's going to come across as boring or monochromatic or monotone. And, and uh, folks are going to, I mean, you, you can see that when, when you watch TV shows. Uh, you know, you, there's inspired writing that you just go, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. And then there are other shows you sort of go, yeah, it just it, it didn't seem to click for me. <laughs> and uh, so in, in the end, it, it's important for folks to harness their passion and whatever, again, whatever story you're, you're telling and for whatever, whatever means you're telling it to an end, right? The point that you're making, uh, if you're passionate about that point, that's going to come across all the techniques that we can use again, voice modulation, uh, pitch, uh, volume, hand gestures, sound effects, voices, all of that is at the service of that passion. So if, if you start off with the passion, and again, uh, I, I, I do uh, workshops teaching storytelling to trainers, trainers who are training all sorts of stuff, education, middle managers, uh, workplace safety. You, if, you, if they find the passion within what they're teaching, then ultimately that is going to interest the folks. It, it, it all boils down to that one word, passion. Does it, is it hard for you to watch TV sometimes? Yes. Like with everything you know, <laughs> like if you're flipping through the channel and you land on, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put somebody on, but you the Hallmark channel, sure. right? And you, you just, whatever, some, and there's some low budget, you know, is it hard for you? You watch somebody and you're like, come on, man, you can do better. Than yes that. and no. 
Okay, Jared, because um, yes, it, it, I mean, you know, the continuity mistakes and, and, and uh, sometimes the production value or the lighting. I mean, there are any number of reasons for me to dislike a, a show or a program. However, again, if there's a spark of passion and, and in the writing, well, that can help overcome deficiencies in, in the lighting or the acting. And, and so it's, it's a process where, you know, I mean, look, you're, you know, you're a barbecue chef, right? You go out and, and you may taste, uh, you may taste someone else's ribs or something and you go, okay, they're not the best in the world, but I can see, you know, they, they did a dry rub instead of a barbecue sauce and you can appreciate, uh, you can appreciate something for what it is or how it was created, right? Without, without getting down on it for not being what it should be if, uh, if they had all the money and the time in the world, you know, yeah. I mean, not everything has to be a, a, uh, Top Gun Maverick, you know, um, nor right. should be. And, and so the, you know, again, tonight, uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie are both coming out. Well, they're completely different movies, but I know a bunch of people who are actually going to double features or the double feature. They're going to see Barbie and or Oppenheimer first and Barbie <laughs> or vice versa. And uh, we've, we've been talking about, well, which one do you see first, right? And I got to tell you, I, I mean, normally I wouldn't really have any interest in seeing a Barbie movie. But based on what I've been reading and about how Greta Gerwig, you know, created and Noah Bumbach, they created this movie that's all about sort of looking at where you are in the world and where you could go. I mean, I haven't seen it, so I don't know exactly, but, but it sounds interesting. It sounds more like a movie than just a summer blockbuster. And so ultimately uh, I, I can almost watch anything uh, at, at Thanksgiving. I remember last Thanksgiving, uh, my daughter who's 28, you know, my, and my wife and I, we sat down and we watched a Hallmark. It's funny you bring that up because we watched this Hallmark movie and it was terrible. Right. Yeah. But we had, we, we, but I wasn't there to watch a movie. I was just there hanging. We were talking as we were watching and we were laughing at stuff that happened on the screen. So it was, it was sort of a communal experience between the three of us as we were watching it. So it served a purpose that was maybe different than the, than the, you know, than the movie makers or the show makers originally planned, but uh, yeah. it was entertaining. Those movies. So like it's those movies, it's almost like, you know, when you go to a five-star restaurant and you've experienced that kind of food, it doesn't mean that you can't also turn around and go enjoy your local fast food joint after that. Right. I mean, you sort of know what these Hallmark movies are, yeah. right. You didn't come in expecting some, you know, award-winning, whatever, like, right. you know, Hey man, they, they all basically follow the premise of, Hey, you know, there's this big city writer right. and he is, he's got to go back home to take care of his ailing mother in the country. Yep. And he meets the little girl who owns the bakery down that's the thing. Right. She's going to teach him what true love is, you know, like that's the, they're all sort of, fun. but it kind of is what it is. You know what I mean? And you go into it knowing that I'm going to get some sort of saccharine sweet kind of thing. And I'm not, I'm not getting some layered, um, you know, inception movie. That well, so Jared, Jared, you bring up a really, really interesting point that I'd love to touch on before we finish up here, which is there's something to be said for knowing or think you know what something is supposed to be, right? So in other words, if I'm telling a story to a group of folks 
in a certain again, say musicians or, or, or chefs, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna go down a road, and then at some point I'm gonna try to turn and pivot with my story to tell them or show them something that they didn't know before. And so there's something about tapping into that, that collective understanding of, of a plot or a story or the beats of a story that you can use as a storyteller to get folks really connecting with you. And then you can flip it on its, uh, on its, on its side. I went and heard a doctor talking um, and he talked about um, some folks who were sick and how they, you know, and how they weren't getting the care that they, they wanted. And, and this one woman, in the end, he tells us, and she was a doctor. So if he had led with that, then that would have had a totally different viewpoint and telling of the story. But because he, he waited to tell us that, we assumed that she may have been, you know, she, she wasn't really communicative. And she wasn't able to communicate what was going on in her situation. But the fact that we went through this whole situation and sequence and then found out that she was actually a doctor, it then helped us understand that, okay, if that could happen to her, then it could happen to me. And, and so it illustrated a really interesting point that he flipped it and waited to tell us that bit of information until toward the, you know, sort of the back half of the story. And so, again, we can use story in many, many different ways. The main thing is to bring our own personalities and use the stories to heighten our personality and or product or service so that people see the value in us if we're in a job interview or our products or services if we're if we're, you know, pitching or selling to a client. It's so relevant what you're talking about. And I just love having people like you on here. We have a lot of entrepreneurs and we have a lot of people that sort of attack things from that side. But, but getting somebody like you on the show to talk about the process of storytelling and how that could be so valuable. Um, I just think it's fantastic. And let's do one last chicken check. I could still yeah. talk to you all day, Richard. Well, as, you're, one last check. as you're doing that, let me, let me just say, think about Jerry Seinfeld, right? He okay. did Seinfeld and, you know, now he, he, every once in a while, he'll do a comedy special here and when he gears up to do that, he doesn't just go out and do a two-hour comedy special. He goes out and he goes to one of his favorite comedy places and he does a 10-minute set. And of that 10 minutes, maybe a minute is gold, Jerry, gold. And then he does another 10 minutes the next week. And maybe he's got two minutes that are gold now, right? But it takes him a couple of months to come up with an hour, hour and a half worth of material that he really feels is solid that he can perform in front of a crowd for HBO, Netflix, whatever it is, right? So just like that situation, when we work at telling stories, we want to practice them. We want to think through them so that they're really, they've evolved when we use them. And we're going to then continue to let them evolve as we continue to use them. Again, whether we're talking to a big crowd of folks or we're communicating with our team, uh, it's, it's really important for folks to remember that stories need to be thought out so they have a point, then rehearsed, practiced, and then you can tweak them over time and make them better or tailor them to a specific audience. So it, it, it takes some effort, but you can also get lost in a story and have fun with it. And uh, that, that's what really makes stories so special. 
it's so good. Richard, you are a delight to talk to, my friend. <laughs> and this was this was a cool show. I could sit and do this for hours. Um, if somebody wanted to get connected with you or, or plug into one of your seminars, where could they find you? Uh, the best place is my website. It's AIExplained.ai. That's AIExplained.ai. Uh, you can access my book from there. Down at the very bottom, you can email me. We can talk about uh, possibilities, uh, you know, and uh, consulting, webinars, uh, all sorts of stuff. So give me a shout and we'll figure something out. Really cool. Richard, thank you for being here. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Guys, if you found any part of this episode uh, valuable, it would be such a blessing to us if you would tell a friend, send it to someone, and find us online. We're available everywhere. TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, you name it, right? I think we're I think we're on Napster. I don't know. One of the you know, <laughs> find us out there, connect with us, tell a friend, uh, and give us a good rating. And thank you so much for being with us. And we'll see you next time on the Slow Smoke Business Show. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Jared. Been a pleasure.